1: a really special day and this topic just I have goosebumps I haven't even told you what it is yet I have goosebumps <laughs> I love what we're going to talk about today so much and I want to begin by saying every child should experience laughter compassion and peace 500 million people live in countries in conflict, and many of them are children, children at risk for violence and exploitation. Let me say it this way. One in six children live in a war zone today. One in six. I'm gonna introduce you to an amazing program An organization that shares a hopeful but ambitious vision to unify the world, starting with bridging the divides in the most conflicted areas. Led by local youth leaders, this beautiful organization teaches children, youth, and communities that there is another way. Differences and conflict are a part of human reality, but hatred, Violence and fear don't have to be. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind and heart, and settle into your essential wholeness as I introduce our guest. Sarah Goff is Play for Pieces director, enjoying over 20 years field work with youth in diverse settings. Involved with Play for Peace since 2001, Sarah co-authored Peace Circles and has facilitated trainings and workshops in experiential peace education around the world. And when you hear where, you are going to be touched, I guarantee. Through Sarah's leadership, Play for Peace has grown to include thousands of children, youth and adults in over 40 countries. As an experiential educator, she has facilitated growth, learning, and change in corporate, governmental, religious, and group settings, and so much more than that. I don't know if you've heard about Play for Peace, but I am so honored to bring you Sarah and this organization's mission. Welcome, Sarah.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Julie, for having me on your show.
1: Well, you're welcome. And you and I have been trying to get this scheduled for a while. And I've just been like, just so full of that joy and compassion that you are all about, just thinking about it. And I'm really happy to bring the mission and and some of the results to our audience so they can really hear what you're doing and 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 how you're doing it. But first, Sarah, we have a traditional first question here on the Dr. Julie Show. And I always love to hear these answers and perspectives. They've changed over the six years. So I'm 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 getting a new feel and a new flavor from our guests every time that I ask. So to put this into a larger context, can you explain to our listeners or share with our listeners, what does all things connected mean to you?
2: Uh, well, I just, first of all, I just love, um, I love the title. I mean, it, it, uh, growing up NPR was one of, <laughs> one of, a uh, part of growing up and, of course, it makes me think of all things considered, but it takes it one layer further in terms of um, connections and what, uh, what connections, how they play a part in our lives. And um, in a very real way, building connections uh, person to person, child to child, across communities is exactly what I've been doing, uh, you know, with Play for Peace and with uh, the majority of my of my life now at this point, um, so it's it's really kind of a um, very kind of key to to what to to the work that I do.
1: Mm. Beautiful, it is indeed, and I um, I really want to start with your story you mentioned, and then maybe we can get into how um, Play for Peace was founded as well and then dig in to, um, yeah, really understand it more. But why don't we begin right. with your story, talking about how the majority of your life you have been working with this. And I, I love the story that you tell about how you got there. So why don't you just share with our listeners a little bit about you and what brings you to Play for Peace?
2: Sure. Well, thank you. Um you know, I, I was, you know, very blessed to, to have grown up in a wonderful, loving home with um, food and shelter and education offered to me, something that I didn't realize wasn't offered to children all over the world at the time. But, um, you know, I feel very blessed in terms of how I grew up. But I also grew up in, a, in an area where they were starting to look at uh, de- desegregation in schools and racism and um, structural racism was was started to be things that were talked about in the educational setting. And so from a very young age, um, these concepts of the privilege I, I had from the home that I had and how uh, children and uh, people in communities were, were really separated from, um, were part of my elementary school experience. And then um, some of the activities that we had bridging those gaps as a young person, um, I was involved in a wonderful club called student, Students Educating Each Other About Discrimination. And I was able to really kind of experience as a child and then a young person, you know, what these structures um, had done in terms of separating children from each other and, um, separating their experiences. So until we, I was able to meet children from different backgrounds, um, from my own, was I really able to understand even my, my own background and, and the world at large. So I really did. Um, I was very lucky to have been exposed to a lot of these concepts at a very early age. And then, um, decided to go into social work. Um, I was first in the humanities and I loved art history and literature. And, um, but then on my spare time, I would be a volunteer at a local SOS community center. And the social workers at that center really became my heroes. I saw the change that they did, um, the, you know, just the amazing work that they did and and decided that's what I wanted to do for my life as well. So. Um, my journey to the School of Social Work at the University of Michigan, where there was just amazing professors really dedicated to not only academia, but the world itself and making an impact in the world. And that brought me to um, a volunteer opportunity in Guatemala um, with Play for Peace. So I, my journey, my next journey after graduate school took me from you know, basically finishing my graduate studies to, um, to moving to a country that I, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, I didn't know where it was on the map. Um, I didn't know much about it. I didn't know about the history and, um, didn't speak the language. I didn't speak Spanish at that point. And, um, you know, flew to Guatemala to have what was an absolutely life-changing experience with play for peace.
1: Mm. And there you stayed for years. So let's let's tell the listeners what Play for Peace is, and maybe you can go into some of the, the early story of how it was founded and, and then the progression, because since your tenure, you've really helped to grow and expand Play for Peace, but it has a sweet beginning as well.
2: It does. It was um, founded by... Uh, two people, Michael Tarian and Craig Dawkins, who are both still very involved uh, to this day. And they were in the um, corporate training um, consulting world with Fortune 500 companies. They were um, very active in how to change corporate culture, you know, sort of in the 80s. Um, a very different realm where they used uh, team building activities, experiential learning, um, system thinking models to support corporate change. And then they went through a series of um, personal experiences and tragedies um, where um, uh, it, they kind of sat back and relooked at what they were doing with their lives, how they were spending their time and, um, you know, using their skill set. And they decided to... Um, put aside their business and focus on using their skills, which was bringing communities together, um, using cooperative play, and take that to um, places all over the world where there community is in conflict, basically. So um, one woman had uh, that was part of their team at the beginning, you know, had a dream of a red ball bouncing around the world, touching each um place that was war torn or or had conflict, and bringing light and joy, uh, through play to these communities to, to affect change. So, um, it's a very powerful model and, um, very visionary, uh, people who went out and started doing it. I mean, just started bringing play for peace, uh, to the world.
1: Mm. So how do you define, I think you said cooperative play. What is cooperative play? So
2: cooperative play is is basically it's it's a type of play where the challenge is usually a, a problem that's solved by working together to achieve a common goal. So, you know, in competitive play, it's usually a sports teams where the goal is to win and not lose. Whereas in cooperative play really the, the goal is to solve a problem together so the main difference is in cooperative play everyone wins um, and it's it's a very different experience and a different mindset when you're when you're part of it.
1: I love that okay so they founded play for Peace yeah. and um, let's let's really get a better picture of what it is today because it's expanded, you're going into some of the toughest places on the planet. And your model is really building peace workers right there locally through this model of, of cooperative play. So tell us how you do this, Sarah. Sure.
2: Well, I maybe I'll start, I'll, I'll, I'll circle back to my experience when i got to play for peace or i got to, to guatemala and experience play for peace uh, for the first time like i said i did not speak the language so i there was always there was already this space where i needed to be quiet and just help how i could and participate because i wasn't coming in as i was coming in to support but also really experience so My first experience with Play for Peace, I go out and I see we're on this dusty field. It's this dusty, you know, soccer field um, out in the uh, rural area. And there's about 12 young leaders who are on top of it. They've got a group of, oh gosh, there must have been 50 kids there that day. And they're organized, they're they're moving the kids into groups, they're starting the activities. And then they're leading this cooperative play where through bundles of laughter and, you know, giggling and running and um, shouting, they're teaching these uh, values of cooperation, of respect, of uh, collaboration, of communication. And... um, I was just blown away, and then and then I was explained to me these youth. They are um, a mixed group of youth that are return refugees from uh, uh, Mexico, who have come back after they were once the peace accords were signed. Uh, Guatemala had a 36 year uh, civil war, and once it was over, uh, the you know thousands of refugees that were in Mexico from the war came back to Guatemala and they'd be repatriated and, and kind of basically um, just plopped down into these communities who didn't necessarily want them um, or feel like they could share the land with them, the water with them. So there's a lot of conflict um, in the regions where um, uh, the return refugees were, were being placed. And they said, these, these young people, they were 15, 16, 17 years old. They're a group of not only local youth, but they're also um, the uh, youth that were part of the returned refugees uh, from Mexico um, who are rebuilding their lives here in Guatemala. And I just thought, oh my gosh, all the community development models and um, you know case studies I had examined in social work school. And, and um, I just saw it play out in such perfection by what I call unlikely heroes. I think that's one of them. One of the things that um, is key about Play for Peace that I do find so inspiring is um, we're going into areas which are really different, difficult to access, difficult to work in. Um, A lot of children, youth, adults are Affected by violence, they've experienced the communities have experienced, but um, they're able to show such leadership and and um, share such uh, important peace values and and really walk their talk. It's 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 kind of an amazing thing. So, um, so what I saw that day of these youth leaders leading this um, this play session with the little kids um, teaching. Uh, these core values, was exactly what Play for Peace is to this day, which is um, we're a community, we're a global learning community of people all over the world who are supporting youth leaders. their are clubs of youth leaders who run what we call practice peace sessions. And so in these practice peace sessions, they use cooperative play as their tool to um, bring people Kids together across divides. They also include community service components and, and people of all ages, actually, uh, in many instances. But um, that's it, it's the core of what we do and how we function and what we believe in.
1: Mm. So practice peace sessions, which are yes. basically cooperative play And if we get on the website, you're going to see pictures and videos of of kids literally playing. Like like maybe if you look out your window right now and you see kids on the playground, kids at school laughing, playing, having fun, you're bringing play into what you said, some of these difficult places to access and difficult places to work. And I had this little... um, moment when you were talking, Sarah, when, when you, you said you were embarrassed about not really knowing about Guatemala before you left. And I'm wondering, would have you went if you knew how difficult it was? It's almost like this serendipity that, that you didn't know. So you literally could land there and watch all that education and theory playing out in real life. Do you think you would have went there if you really knew?
2: Well, you know, I definitely had sort of an intellectual understanding because I had, you know, literally before I got on the plane, I had read up on where it was, the history of the war and things like that. But coming from the place that I, I had come from, the my intellectual understanding of what it meant to be in a post-conflict region um, in a third world country, you know, didn't really do it justice. and to be honest, it really felt, I don't want to say that I I had no choice, but there was no, from the whole process of being, you know, asked to, to, to come to Guatemala, the initial volunteer experience was supposed to be for nine months. Um, it felt like the right path and I never questioned it. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there could be a lot of, you know really beautiful reasons behind that. but it certainly was my path to walk and one that I haven't regretted, uh, you know, definitely since since I, I chose that path. Um, so it, it, it is complicated. I mean, nine months in Guatemala has turned into 18, 18 years. Um, and there's a lot of challenges that of, of living, in a country with instability of living political upheavals and the violence and, and all of this. But I've also learned so much from living in Guatemala um, about myself, about working in the field, about re- resiliency, about joyfulness, um, that I'm still learning to this day. So I'm very grateful for, for this opportunity I had to actually uh, have this experience, which I never thought would be on my horizon in the future.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't think you probably thought, well, I'm going to just <laughs> move down no. there and make a life of it. But yeah, I'm glad you did, because the story is so poignant and, and beautiful for all of us. So communities around the world are shifting. So you have you have these communities that are, are really ravaged with, trauma, and disconnection, and fear, and violence, and then you bring in this program, and it, and it encourages, it inspires the kids, it encourages collaboration, you were talking about some of those values, so, so there's peace, and focusing on these common goals with this action, this real action, and so I love this story of, okay, so, how does this really work? And with your experience, I have some of the statistics here that it is really working. Um, let's just talk about some of them because you, you also talk that spirits are healed and new leaders for peace are born. And, and I, I want to hear more about that in a second, but here's some of these statistics that I found on your website. 97% Youth and leaders feel that play for peace helps them feel more moments of joy and hope. That's a big one. Do um, you want to speak a little bit more to that?
2: Sure. Well, I think, I mean, the secret sauce is really the cooperative play because mm-hmm. nothing lights up the brain like play does. I mean, it, it's how children yeah. learn. And I mean, if you look at the tech world, you know, where they talk about gamification and all these different um, sort of new trends, it's actually how we all learn. And so um, not only is it an extremely powerful learning tool, it helps us build cooperative play, helps us build um, memories. So if you think back to your childhood to to some poignant times. Sometimes there will be sad memories, but sometimes it'll be, you know, really funny moments that just stick with you or, or a special time. And it's often times when you were at play. So play really helps not only you learn, but remember what you learned. So it's a, it's a very powerful educational tool. But then it's also even more powerful when we talk about resilience. So we understand that, you know, conflict is a part of the human experience. There is tragedy. There is violence. And we hope that by giving these experiences of moments of joy, um, that kids will be able to connect with each other and have this so this network of uh, support. And we've seen it time and time again across the clubs. I mean, I don't even know what story to start with, but... Um, I mean, what we find is the opposite of play isn't actually work. It's, it's depression. And, um, what will the, the most powerful gift I think that you can give anyone, um, especially a child is a hope for the future and these moments of joy that they can cling onto when, um, they're going they're you know, they're crossing the waters, um, they're going. They're going for, to another country, hoping that they'll they'll be received as a refugee in this new country. Um, whether, whether you know they're facing experiences of bullying or of uh, marginalization or of um, you know sometimes deep seated here uh, hate and fear from from people who don't understand who they are just because they're different. Um, so I, I really do believe that play is is the components that makes, uh, play for peace work.
1: Mm. I couldn't agree more. I, I really appreciate the, the focus on the play. We, you know, we don't, we don't do that often enough and we talk about the joy. We want more joy, but to bring that joy and that sense of hope in, um, using play as, as the medicine and modality and delivery system is, is beautiful. Okay. I want to do one more statistic before break, because, um, I mentioned that you're, you're getting these results. And so, um, I'm just going to do one more before break, and then we can really go farther into a few more topics after the break. 92% youth and adult leaders feel that they're more compassionate since playing for peace and 83 percent of residents that were surveyed in play for peace communities um, are more they feel that their communities are more compassionate so here we have the people the adults the leaders the youth and the communities feeling more compassion just speak a little bit about that would you
2: Sure. Well, so I mean, one of the models we kind of use is live laughter, choose compassion, practice peace. And um, that kind of brings us together because it's through the laughter, through these play activities where we're challenging ourselves with this beach ball. Can we keep this beach ball up in the air without it falling down um, and touching it 100 times? And you know what? Someone's going to miss it. And so The the cultural shift that we, you know, provide is that in Play for Peace, while you're doing these activities and games, if someone makes a mistake, um, they're supported, they're given, um, you know, inspiration to try better the next time. And this feeling of we're all in it together, which is not necessarily the case. We even do a Simon Says uh, activity, which is modified. So that, um, you know, Simon says, you know, touch your nose. Simon says, touch your ears. And if someone makes a mistake, um, the whole group cheers, they're cheered, and then they get to be Simon Says. And so it's this paradigm shift of, look, we're all on this earth together. we need to support each other to make it through. Um, how can we more, be more compassionate? And so through laughter, through choosing compassion over choosing fear, over choosing um, hate, over choosing blame, um, by choosing compassion and then practicing it over and over again, um, it, there's this cultural shift where the cultural norm becomes the kids being more compassionate to each other, youth being more compassionate to each other and adults seeing how their kids are being changed through this and also starting to do it themselves. It's, it's kind of a, a miraculous uh, transformation.
1: Beautiful. And that was a beautiful soundbite right there. Sarah, your words are so inspiring and I can see how spirits are healed and new leaders for peace are born just from what you just expressed. You're listening to The Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. We're going to take a quick break and come back with more of Sarah Goff and Play for Peace. We'll be right back.
2: The Empower Meditation Channel
0: and it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. It takes 12 years to create a graduate. It takes about the same time to create a dropout. The difference between a child becoming one or the other could be you. Studies prove that reading to a child regularly dramatically improves reading skills. And kids who read well by third grade are four times as likely to graduate. So United Way is calling for one million volunteers over the next three years. We're asking you to step up. Make a pledge. Tutor a child who needs help. Mentor a kid who needs someone on their side. Volunteer to read to children. Make a difference. Because when a child advances, we all advance. Entire communities improve. The path to success or failure starts long before graduation day. And the difference between a graduate and a dropout could be you. Be a reader, tutor or mentor. Give, advocate, volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge. Go to liveunited.org now. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. This is a guided meditation on parenting. Find a relaxed position to let go of the time you left your daughter's blouse in the dryer too long and it shrunk four sizes. Or when you donated her private diary to the public library. Deep breaths. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. There are thousands of teens in foster care who don't need perfection. They need you. For more information on how you can adopt, visit adoptuskids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Empowering you for a better life. This is Empower Radio. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower
1: Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you are inspired by our conversation today, I invite you to share it with others and listen to it again. You can do that by visiting my website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as a listing of upcoming guests. Again, that's thedrjulieshow.com. Also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. I'm here today with Sarah Goff, director of play for Peace. And what a story this is. I I love this. And Sarah, what I want to do to begin and this next segment is to really talk about the why, because we have so many out there who are poised and ready to step in and get involved and they can. But sometimes we just think peace is this big thing that we can't make a difference in and, and on your website and in your, a lot of the materials that you have, you talk about the results of a community without peace. And I just wanna read three of these separately. And mm-hmm. um, we opened, we opened with talking about one in six children live in war zones. And I just, I'm gonna begin with that first, because to me, that is a statistic that almost seems impossible. Like, is, that is a real statistic. One in six children live in a war zone.
2: Yes. And, and um, the number of refugees, I believe it might be one in 10 children uh, or not children, but uh, people in the world are now um, part yeah. of the refugee and migration uh, crisis. So the numbers are staggering and the impact is generational. You know, yeah. war doesn't just affect you while you're in the war. I mean, I've been living in a post- conflict zone for the last 18 years. And I can still see um, ramifications of the war going on to this day. Um, And it's passed from parents to children. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we need to understand, I believe, is that this is so urgent and so critical that we provide any way possible moments of joy and peace and hope for these children, so that they have that as part of their existence, not just the war, not just the, you, you know, crossing, the, you know, on the boats, you know, not all these other, um, just these memories, but also positive memories so that uh, we can support building a generation of kids who, who believe in a, in a better world is possible.
1: Yeah. And future generations of kids, like you say, it's so intergenerational. So you you say "A a community without peace puts children at risk for injuries or death. Children who experience trauma are also more likely to continue the cycle of violence and suffer from lifelong health problems. We know that about resilience. Do you want to speak just a little bit to that?
2: Sure. Absolutely. Well, I think you know there's studies from a lot of different um, areas from domestic violence. There's been a lot of research around domestic violence, um, um, even sexual abuse, things like that. That the cycle, if you, this is done to you as a child, you're much more likely to um, be a perpetrator in the future, and so that's where you get into this cycle of violence. Um, also, there's a, a studies of um, children who are exposed to high violence and um, instable, unstable conditions as children, how that can be um, a risk factor for their health later in life. So um, not only is it the immediate, of course, if you're in war, if there's conflict, um, the immediate uh, risk that children are in, but it's also for their future and for their children's future. Um, so I think that is that's really important. So much so that some, I mean, the, this is sometimes um, looked at as a health risk. You know, gun violence looked at as, a, you know, beyond people who are, who are experiencing the violence, but also the community as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you mentioned the refugees. And so uh, a community without peace abandons families facing hunger, malnutrition, infectious disease, persecution, and homelessness. This leads to our global refugee crisis. Can you speak to that?
2: Sure, well, absolutely. I mean, since I am part of, been part of um, community development, uh, on sort of the looking at the global scale for many, many years, I believe in water projects. I believe in educating children but the issue is that is um, if there is um, a, co- a conflict breaks out, if a war breaks out, the water, the well, um, can be broken and not fixed because no one can get there to fix it. Um, vaccines can't get to children when they um, you know conflict and war, uh, under violent situations. So all of these things, um, we can't develop communities if there aren't safe spaces for people to live, grow, and learn, so I, I think that it's it's one of those essential things that you know beyond um, people wanting to save their children and fleeing with their children f- fleeing for their lives, um, you know everything breaks down without peace. There's no infrastructure. Roads are you know blocked. Um, we saw that in Venezuela. Um, you know, vaccines aren't getting to kids. And um, obviously, you know, homes are being destroyed. Entire, I mean, you think of Aleppo and Syria, and it's just, um, you know, blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks of homes are just no longer there. So yeah. um, I think that looking at peace isn't sort of this vague uh, idea, concept that we'll never get to. It's, it's a real thing that we can work towards with practical concrete steps
1: yeah and you you also mentioned that you know healthcare services education all kinds of community services so yeah this makes sense and um this it, it isn't a simple solution that you have it's very genius when we're talking about cooperative play and here you are a community over two thousand people spanning forty plus countries right now, creating a more peaceful world. So, what? What is your, What? Where do you go from here, Sarah? How big can you get? How, if one in six children, oh, that statistic just bothers me. If one in six children are affected in this way, and one in ten are a refugee right now of adults. What more can we do? Where, what's your vision? What's your big, audacious, amazing, huge vision for us? (laughs) Where do we go from here? How can you grow and how can you help us grow into loving and serving and, and really assisting in any way we can here?
2: Well, that's just a wonderful question because the it's a question I, I've asked my community because I really do, you know, I have the name of director and, you know, we have an organization with, you know, kind of a basic infrastructure of an organization, of course, that you need to have. But I really see my role as a facilitator, just like the youth facilitate cooperative play at the local level on the ground with the kids. I see my role as a facilitator of all of these peace builders around the world who are are taking time from their families, from their jobs sometimes, um, putting themselves at risk sometimes to, to do this really powerful, important work. And um, I w- I want to say their vision and their goal and put my name to it as well is we want every child on this earth to be able to experience play for peace, whether it's with the name play for peace um, name or not, but that every child is able to exp- experience moments of joy and hope through practicing peace, um, uh, through play, which is, you know, the basic building blocks. So we're an organization that, um, you know, the activities are out there. We work really hard on training youth all over the world, um, especially in the, you know, kind of the most, uh, difficult places, um, in conflict zones. And so it's, it's really, how can we get Um, this methodology into the hands of as many people as possible. Our community are, they're all volunteers. Some of them work for schools or work for organizations um, and they've incorporated play for peace into their life. But um, basically it's a, it's the force of, the power and passion and energy of young volunteers all around the world that are making this happen. So there's no end to what we can do because that power, it's like solar power, right? It's it's an unlimited source that if we can tap into it and um, you know, by having me on here, you're helping because the more we speak about this simple solution, which is practice pr- solving problems together in a joyful way, from when you're a, a young child up into your adulthood, we can all do this. And so, by spreading the word and and telling um, stories of the young people in our community and what they're doing, we'll inspire others to do the same. And so, I think um, our growth has been person to person. It uh, it hasn't been any marketing campaigns. It hasn't been you know, any sort of international aid funding schemes or any of that. It really has been dedicated people who have taken Play for Peace methodology and gone out and been training young people all over the world to do this powerful work in the field. And that's how we've been growing to where we are today. And that's how um, I feel that we can continue to grow and offer at least, um, in the very least, um, you know, these experiences of, to children, where they can say, "We have the power ourselves to find joy. We have the power to solve our problems as a community. We have the power to come together and say no to xenophobia, and uh, you know, practice inclusion. Listen to everyone's stories. Listen to everyone's ideas. And um, I really do think it's possible. And I think um, that's why so many of us have joined in Play for Peace and uh, continue." Continue doing it. So that's the, that's the big, that's the big goal. That's the big vision, mm-hmm. which is not mine, but the community's, which is to have every child, um, be able to, to experience the power of for
1: peace. I love that. And experience the, the, the power of play and be so empowered to, to feel like they belong to, you know, to really build those, those values that you're talking about. And the other thing that I really appreciate, Sarah, is the self-organizing way that power for, or excuse me, play for peace is growing. It isn't that you're sitting there with a, great big huge map and saying we have to go here we have to go there it's almost like this organic self-organizing I I don't know maybe I'm wrong Um, you can help us out here but to me it's as if your people are hearing about it and then going where they're called to be is that how this is growing
2: it is exactly how it's um, growing which goes counter somewhat to a lot of projects and how they work, which is, you know, intellectually identify what you consider a need and then bring, you know, the the solution to the need. Um, We do grow organically and it's person to person. We had, um, we have a Play for Peace club in a refugee camp in, uh, on the outskirts of Athens and Greece. And um, we had two young volunteers uh, from Costa Rica volunteer at that refugee camp. And experience play for peace at that refugee camp um, and decide hey look this is life-changing we want this in costa rica as well so they went home and they began um, to work with um, uh, a community which is sort of the the kind of uh, you know the most um conflict-ridden area of costa rica it has it has a high um, um immigrant population and they began to start Play for Peace in that area. And that, that story has been replicated over and over and over. Um, our program in Mexico was started because um, one of the ways we're able to do what we do is we use the UN online volunteering program, help with graphic design, web design, translation, all kinds of things that, that we need to run as an organization. And our graphic designer, um that came to us through that program after working through our materials and helping doing the design he said hey i need this in my community and he started up his own play for peace club in mexico city who has been um who has gone to the the immigration route through mexico and and um you know they've brought clothing and play and and um different donations to to um to the people, the Central Americans that are, that are there in their community. And so it just, it's, this is addictive in a a positive way. It's, it's, and it inspires others to get involved and see how they can do this in their community as well.
1: I love that. I love that. And it's such a beautiful model and that self-organizing, that self-empowering way that it, that it, catches fire is is so powerful here so um i i want to hear a few more stories but first i really want listeners to know how they can get involved because there's lots of different ways that they can be involved volunteer and and help out you don't have to be a young person to to begin this and and you just shared a couple stories that might prompt people to say oh yeah you know i could volunteer here and go there so i just want to say for our listeners that they can find so much more at playforpeace.org playforpeace.org but sarah first share with us how can our listeners get involved
2: sure absolutely Um, We are a grassroots, primarily volunteer-run organization. So, you know, one very clear way you can get involved is is volunteering. Um, We have volunteers from all over the world, helping with translations, blogging, um, you know, some organizational pieces, marketing. So whatever skill set, whatever you're passionate about, and you could offer um, Play for Peace, you can join in that way. Um, of course we have, um, you know, donor circles, people who do fundraisers. We have, you know, we do walk for pieces and uh, there's a 5k run that a community members have put together. Um, so there's a lot of different ways where you can, um, um, raise funds for that go right to our play for peace clubs and our youth leaders doing their work around the world. And then you can also activate as well. Um. If you uh, want to help get Play for Peace into your school or if you want your school to host a practice peace session and um, have young leaders come to your community and do these uh, activities, there's the possibility uh, of that as well. So there's a big join button on the top of our website and and those three different ways you can participate um, are very clear. And then you know sharing sharing this um interview out talking to people about play for peace um having helping us get more well known and helping the stories of our youth get more well known is also very important so whether it's just a click of a share or you know more of a, I really want to be a part of this and volunteer and see how i can help out um there's a there's a place for everyone
1: mm. I, I believe that now there's a place for everyone because it's not just that you're gonna go work with kids in one of these places that might be intimidating to you, but if you have social media skills, Get on board and share things out. If you are a graphic designer, go help them do that. You have a beautiful website, an incredibly beautiful website. I'm sure there's a lot more ways we can tell the stories of what's happening. And we're really coming down to just a few minutes left in this show. But maybe in like two minutes or less, Sarah, maybe you could share one of your favorite stories.
2: Uh, <laughs> no pressure uh, yeah no pressure uh, this i can't g- give a favorite but i'll give an immediate um, just this morning i was uh, speaking with the person who's helping us um in europe and the middle east and she just came back um from an experience on saturday that just blew her away um we um there's a refugee who a young man named ryan who um we met first in greece And he was a powerful, powerful youth leader, um, positive force for laughter and compassion and peace in the refugee camp um, in Greece, and was then moved to the Netherlands in a refugee camp there. Um, He got residency, and he decided, I'm going to keep doing this. So he brought Play for Peace to the Netherlands, uh, a place that we didn't have any infrastructure there yet, um, and began as a recent uh refugee you know residents he began volunteering his time to helping the children in those camps and um so much so all the work that these young people were doing that when it was time for the the camp to close down the community itself they were doing so much work with the elderly and supporting working with the kids the community itself um tried to petition to the Dutch government not to, uh, to close down the refugee camp because they were such a positive uh, part of the community. Um, he and his group of young leaders that he, you know, built and trained himself, they ended up getting awards, a volunteerism award from the Dutch government um, about six months ago. And now that uh, the new refugee camps have opened, they just reunited him and... Um, um, uh Katrine who's the, their their leader in the region, all re- reunited yesterday and they're at a camp where the camp is split in two half of, so on one side of the fence in this camp are families who are petitioning to stay in the Netherlands. On the other side of the camp are basically people are families who they're going to be sent back home. they're just waiting for the the processing. To be sent back home and so the camp is really split in two so what how this new play for peace club wanted to launch on saturday was do this amazing session where they crossed the fence they crossed the 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 gates that separated the two sides and they had this huge um play for peace session with kids of uh, you know three, four, five, six, seven years old, and they all came together in the space of um, different. So they were, I think, they were having to do the, the play for peace session in about five, six different uh, languages um, because there are Syrian refugees, Afghani refugees from Iran, from um, areas um, that spoke Russian. So you know, from all over, uh, there's Venezuelan refugees. And um, so that the combination of languages, but they all came together. And it was through this one young man who had been through so much, um, you know, from Iran to Greece to the Netherlands, um, you know, in his 20s, trying to pass university, get into university, um, who made this happen and made this joyful, Wonderful, inspiring uh, experience happened just this Saturday, bringing together families who had been separated by this fence um, for this time together. So,
1: oh, wow. Sarah, that is a beautiful story. Thanks for sharing it. And as i was listening to you, I'm thinking about the U.S.-Mexico border and what's happening there. And hopefully several of our listeners are hearing, too, like, hmm, there's probably something I can do. Sarah, we are out of time. Thank you so much for joining us today. It, It was really an important conversation for us to have. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much, Dr. Julie.
1: Yeah, and I just wanna leave the listeners with some words about play for peace because cooperative play is a universal way for people to come together and learn. It creates a gateway to moments when differences are celebrated, friendships are created, and we see what connects us rather than what divides us. Play for peace is uses play as an experiential learning tool and a catalyst for inspiring people from different cultures to reach across barriers and boundaries. Why? Because every child should experience laughter, compassion, and peace. You've been listening to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. Remember, together, we are creating connections for the good of the whole. Until next time, I'm sending you a world of love. Bye for now.